podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast. The only rugby podcast gives you the news, news and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at Mall Over Podcast. We are Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook. You can find all of our podcatchers, pod- podcasts, podcatchers, podcasts on all of your good podcatchers um, and some bad ones as well. Uh, in a world where we live now, where there's actually no sport, not just no rugby, no sport, we are going to do something slightly different tonight. So I am joined by uh, Ben. How you doing, mate? Good, thanks, mate. Uh, Phil, you well? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good, good. And the lensman, Doug, how is it? 50-50. 50-50, a bit Lamar. Um, so we are, and we are going to do something different. So I'm going to hand over now to uh, our a quiz host from the Mall Over Productions uh, podcast conglomerate, <laughs> um, host of the Long Snapper podcast and co-host of the Long Leg podcast, um, often found in Hoddesdon. Um, meandering about avoiding coronavirus is uh, Adam Foxcroft. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. Good evening. How are we? Very, very well. Um, let. Why don't you explain, as our host, why don't you explain to the uh, the listeners a little bit about what we're doing this evening? Okay. Well, if you're a, if you're a regular listener to the the Long Snapper podcast, you'll know we like a quiz, and generally we'll try and rip something off a little bit and make it NFL related this time. We, we just, we're not even hiding what we're ripping off. Um, what are we going to call this quiz? Let's call the whole show tightening fork. Ca- casual. We, walk? Are we okay? Ca- casual, exciting walk. Ben suggested. I mean, let's just call it that. We'll, we'll, we'll ask you questions and you'll give us some answers. I will score them depending on how good I think they are. And I'll score them as follows. If you you could get one point. Sounds like that. Three points. If you're really funny or clever or all of the above, five points. On, on the flip side, you could get minus one. Or minus three. See, that's definitely not the same as any other radio-related show or podcast. Definitely not the same. That may or may not be run by the BBC. May, may or may not be. Uh, but you know, we're we're all we're all in this together. We want to get through this through this thing. So this is what we're going to do. Shall I kick off? Yeah, why not? Okay. First question. Seeing well, seeing as this is a rugby podcast, we'll start with a rugby question, and quite a simple, but nostalgic and comforting one i suppose um simply put what is your favorite rugby match of all time and ben why don't you kick us off okay i had a choice of two and i went for the one that was slightly further ago in the past and uh i'm sure you'll all know probably which game it is as soon as i mention the the two words scott gibbs um so (laughs) I've gone back to the 1997 Lions second test in South Africa. Um, So it was uh, the first tour in South Africa by the Lions for a very long time due to some unpleasant politics that were going on um, before most of our times. 
Um, and it was a very strong South Africa side. People like Oz Durant, uh, Mark Andrews, Gary Teichman, you know, real good team uh, that were expected to win. And then in the first test, the Lions pulled a very famous performance out of nowhere with a Matt Dawson try. Um, so it was a particularly strong revenge match, I'd say, from that, the South Africans and the South African media, especially. That was the overhead um the dummy overhead dummy, yeah, that. yeah, um, and um, you know there was a lot of a lot of amazing things happened in this game. It was a very, you know, in retrospect, very very good Lions team that wore a, a classic uh, classic Lions kit, and um, you know Scott Gibbs was perhaps the most famous thing where he ran over Durant, who was about approximately thirty seven stone. Um, but my main sort of memory of the game just seemed to be the Lions just defending like fury on their own line for for what seemed sort of like 10, 15 minute stretches at a time, which wasn't common in rugby back then. You you saw a lot more uh, tries scored from, you know, uh, loose play and, and, and fierce defence wasn't really, um, really the thing. And it was it was the Lions sort of taking on the personality, perhaps a little bit of Captain Martin Johnson and also um, Jim Telfer who probably we all remember from the Living With Lions video. So um, also the thing that I really like about that game is the Lions scored no tries and the South Africans scored three and the Lions still won. Um, largely through kicks by um, perhaps the only fullback in history that's less dynamic than me, Neil Jenkins. <laughs> Possibly one good. of the longest answers I've ever heard yeah. on, any, on any radio show, but it's, it's, it's decent. We I might be cutting out fantastic. some questions based on this. Yeah. We'll see. Um, Doug, what have you got for us? Uh, I'll go for another Lions tour. This time, um, 19, uh, sorry, 2009, second test. Um, I remember watching it with a load of my mates from Bishop Stortford Rugby Club. Um, an amazing game for, for many, many reasons, not least the fact that there was plenty of afters. Um, Shout Burger <laughs> was accused during or after the game of gouging, I think, Sean, I want to say Sean O'Brien, but that can't be right. Um, and then there was Backy's both dislocating Adam Jones's shoulder with an apparently legal clear out, which wasn't. Um, the Lions were winning at half time and then they lost with the last kick of the game. And I can remember that was the kick that lost us the series and the deflated room in Bishop Stortford that uh, was ready to go out on the massive hose um, ended up with a slow meandering back to our own houses. And I think, if I remember rightly, it was a daft penalty by Ronan Agara, which gave the winning yeah, kick away. Took, Is that right? Took the, man, took the man in the air, didn't he? From a, yeah. from a 22 or a restart or yeah. something. He, yeah. Um, yeah. He came on and ran around like a malfunctioning robot for 15 minutes, basically. Yeah. My favourite uh, my favorite um, quote about the game was that the uh, at the end of the game, uh, the devastated Lions were looking more like a scene from the American television series ER as opposed to a rugby team. Um, the Springboks came out for the third test wearing white armbands with the words justice on them in protest over the sighting of Bota and Berger. If you look at the burger one, he probably should have been banned for about three years. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. It was horrible. Part of me thinks it's someone like Tom Croft or someone like that, but it might have been an Irishman. Luke, if it was Luke Fitzgerald, there you yeah. go. If it was an Irishman, he probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> very good, um, Phil. So, both very good games that you've mentioned so far. I'll be honest. 
I, I have absolutely zero memory of where I was at the time. And for me, the best game ever, it's got to be one where you can, you can picture exactly where you were at the time. And I was in a flat in Edinburgh, 17 Rankeela Street, 25 people round a telly early in the morning to watch what has to be one of probably the most pulsating final games you're ever going to see. 2003, down in Australia. Early on in the game. There it is. Early on in the game, crossfield kick. You've got Lottie Takiri out jumping Jason Robinson and you're thinking, Christ, this is going to be a tough old game. And then England just did what England did and they dominated and they and they crushed Australia. Um, it was a battle of the back rows, really. Probably two of the most, two of the best balanced back rows playing against each other that is ever likely to be seen. You've obviously got Hill back and Del Alio playing for England. You've got War Smith uh, and David Lyons playing for for Australia. Um, and you get to the end of of eighty minutes of two teams really going at each other the whole time with with great control and great precision. And it's seventeen all. You've got the best two countries in the world playing rugby, and it comes out as a draw. And then we get the joy of extra time. And you get a left-footed kicker swinging the ball onto his right foot and knocking a drop goal between the posts. And that's a moment that will live with me for the rest of my life. Now, I didn't get to uh, mention this on the pod before. I didn't get to watch a huge amount of rugby growing up because I was playing rugby most of the time. Um, and even when I went to uni, carried on playing rugby, playing matches twice a week. So you didn't get to see that much rugby. And this was the game where I went, you know what, they're playing a different game to the game we're playing. International rugby can be a thing of beauty. Club rugby can be a thing of a very different type of beauty. But they're playing a completely different game and it made me totally fall in love with watching rugby. Love that. Um, it was the obvious answer, but also the the correct answer. Russ, you're, you're going to have some anticlimax after that. You, well, can, you can't go absolutely. up Absolutely. No, I can't. But Phil, Phil ended his then answer with the Johnny Wilkinson drop goal. I'm going to take you back to the 2008-2009 Heineken Cup semi-final between Cardiff Blues and Leicester Tigers. Uh, a 26-all draw after extra time. And the... <laughs> it's unbelievable. I get, I almost get a feeling there's going to be a theme to this. Yeah, um, get used to that noise, Russ. <laughs> but the uh, the game finished in a 26-all draw uh, and had to be decided on drop goals the first game i mean i don't remember many if any games being decided on drop goals uh and it was a last minute uh tom james try that got cardiff into that position uh and it was a martin williams the nugget the guy who'd won so many games for wales you know an, an absolute niggle of a back row who missed the vital southern death drop goal I mean, I think it was it was seven six at the time, and he and he had the the kick to to sorry it was six all he had the kick to make it seven six and then Jordan Crane scored for Leicester to make it seven six so in a penalty shootout why you'd have you know your, your back rower taking your sixth drop goal never know but it was one of the worst drop goals in in history so. There you go, Martin Williams, unlucky nugget. But a man, uh, a man I had breakfast with multiple times in Japan. Yeah, probably an absolutely lovely boat. I bet you didn't mention that. Point for that, Doug. There you go. 
2009 <laughs> drop goal yeah. in the, in the semi-final. I've got a feeling I worked on that game as well. Is he a full English man? Uh, <laughs> no, he's a, he's a very, very conscientious, gym-going man. Him and Carl Tanana were uh, absolutely beasting themselves. Carlton Palmer? Yeah, Carlton Palmer, Russ. <laughs> I think I think you just all you wanted to know was does he use a sausage as a breakwater? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, if you think you're getting sausage and beans in Japan, you're you're, uh, <laughs> you're sadly mistaken. Fair enough. Very good, everyone. Right, next question. Um, as sport winds down for a bit due to the the virus that we're going to hear so much about over the coming weeks and months, um, who or what is the worst virus in sport and Dougie, let's start with you. Uh, there's only one man for me, Mino Rayola. Um, <laughs> just an absolutely abhorrent human being who is nothing but a parasite on the game of football. Uh, thinks he's bigger than the game, unsettles players, moves massive quantities of money out of the game into his own pocket for no real reason. He's got one of the worst pictures you will ever see on uh, Wikipedia, if you want to look it up, he looks like some kind of Audi gangster sat in a, <laughs> sat in a holiday and express waiting room. Um, yeah, just a complete and utter jizz bucket of a human who uh, deserves to be run out of town or, you know, va- vaccinated. But by vaccinated, I, I mean euthanized. <laughs> you know what you know what I like most? You know what I like most about our version of this particular quiz is the fact that we're not on a certain reputable um fee payer uh sort of channel and we could literally say whatever it is we want. Yeah. Jizz bucket he being one of he parasites. He threatened to sue FIFA. Because <laughs> uh, of the cap on transfer payments. He threatened to sue football. <laughs> What a cunny. Um, okay, Phil, who's the worst virus in sport? So when we think of viruses, what do we think of? You think of common cold, you think of flu, you think of these things that kind of, yeah, come, come, come along from nowhere. You're not really sure how they got to where they, they got there. They kind of recirculate amongst the, the, the population and they keep show, rearing their ugly head and they just infect everything that's potentially good. And I'm sticking with rugby. And when you think about that with rugby, goes for his career before he retired from, from playing as much as it does afterwards. There's only one person that fits that criteria, and that's Stuart Barnes. The man is just an absolute You're getting another one of those. Pest. I, I disagree with that. What was that, Doug? Employed by Sky? Get disagree with that. <laughs> Edited for the sake of Dougie's job. <laughs> That's all I got. The point off is for Doug, just to be clear. <laughs> Russ. Um, we talk about viruses and who or what is the biggest virus in sport. For me, it has to be uh, the Russians in general. Um, I think I've got... <laughs> You know, I'm probably going to end up with Vladimir Putin calling from my head, but the systematic doping of Russian sport for he is a listener. God, God knows how long. <laughs> um, Point back, you know, the amount of the amount of uh, the amount of medals and world championships and stuff that they've won due to systematic and institutional doping is absolutely mental, and the fact that they got away with it for so long. 
it's frankly absurd. And you know, the the athletes that were the competing on what they perceived as a level playing field, they knew they they probably knew all along that they weren't uh, competing on a level playing field, but. Now it's been proven and, and they've been banned. And the 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 shock from Putin and the rest of Russia that they have been banned through you know proof of their systematic and institutional doping is uh is is quite staggering. So yeah, Russia in general, just the country of Russia. Excellent. Uh Ben. Um something that's come along into sport in the last few years and has set swept itself into every sort of pore of, of a lot of games. Sport Twitter. So, um, yeah. You, you're watching a game. You're you can have another quite, one of them. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite enjoying this game. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's entertaining. It's a good contest. Then you look on Twitter and some Irish guy has made a gift. and there weren't i'm sure there weren't as many sightings in rugby a a var i think is a direct result of of twitter gifts um you know it's it's just creates a controversy on every game and everyone and it creates a discourse but the discourse is straight down partisan lines and no one ever changes their opinion and twitter's great sometimes i just watched a, a video of a dog jumping into a pile of leaves for a good two minutes but sport twitter can get in the sea <laughs> that's a lot of points there um i'll well let's run the, let's have another question and i'll run through the scores where we are sticking with the effects of the virus with sports being cancelled this question is which sport do you hope doesn't come back and phil let's start with you this time so, what's a sport? A sport is something that requires some level of physical prowess. When you think about sports, when you think about whether whether it be a marathon runner, you think about somebody who's lied in the peak of their physical condition, a rugby player who spends ages in the gym building themselves up to, to be able to do what they, they need to do and out on the training pitch. You think of an 18-stone man who can knock back 15 pints and throw a pointy thing at a circle. <laughs> eight foot and a bit away it's not a sport it's absolutely not a sport it's just an excuse for common people to go and get drunk and they don't need any more excuses they've got weather spoons just leave it out <laughs> let them go to their spoons and get pissed and roll about on the high street at 11 o'clock in the morning we don't need it to be a sport just let it be a little game it's fine just it's bin, bin it from the word sport ever Disclaimer, please don't go to Weatherspoons and put money into the racist BG's pocket. (laughs) Controversial. (laughs) There we go. I need to work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, point for that. Um, Right, Russ. Um, What don't you hope comes back? for, For me, it's cycling. I mean... Who who watches cycling, for one? Who would watch on the telly 30 or 40 grown men riding up and down a mountain? Um, unless, of course, you're hoping that they all crash. Shit! Did you see that? Um, Looking somehow like cows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, unless... 
aforementioned part, Alan Partridge has commentated on it. There couldn't be anything more boring than a, an aerial helicopter view or a view of a camera on the back of a motorcycle looking back at some people riding a bike. Now, I'm not doubting how fit those guys are. I'm not doubting, you know, how uh, I say talented. I can't imagine it takes too much talent, just extreme fitness. Uh, to ride a bike but um we can all do it we've all done it since the age of you know maybe maybe four or five some were late bloomers i should imagine um but yeah cycling for me is absolute dog shit i wouldn't care less it was never never ever happened again parry roubaix's decent though who the parry roubaix yeah never heard of it mate yeah that's that's decent it's not like tour de france uh, you know, <laughs> are you taking points off me again? No, that was off Doug. Okay. <laughs> I hadn't heard of him either. I think the, I think the name of the game in here is not is not commenting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I'm getting points off just for answering the questions. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Ben, your turn. Uh, Formula One. Now, this may be a hangover from when. I'm just kidding. <laughs> when, when Formula One and Test Match Cricket were both on terrestrial TV, I'd occasionally go into the pub expecting to be watching the Ashes and they'd have bloody Formula One on instead. So I wonder if this is where my kind of disdain for it comes from. But what they could have done was let me watch the cricket and just given them a laptop and just put on a live stream of the traffic cameras on the M25 and they'd been just as happy. I mean... People getting excited about the odd overtaking manoeuvre. Uh, I mean, just they should just try watching the people trying to get past the tractors on the A30 during the summer. It'd be a lot more exciting. There was a there was a Monaco Grand Prix. I think it was like ninety four, ninety five, where there was only six cars that finished because the rest of them just smashed into the walls. That was worth watching. That was probably the last Grand Prix that was worth watching. Yeah, exactly. And and the the Grand Prix they've got now, like. Bahrain, Vietnam, Azerbaijan, the, the three classics. Um, <laughs> and and they, they put the best driver in the best car and then act surprised when he wins. <laughs> but they tried that, again. They, they tried, didn't they, with the, what, I can't remember what they called it, but they, they said, yeah, this is going to see who's the best driver. And they put them all in the same car and they, they put it on Sky. I can't remember what that was called, Doug. Do you remember, you, you, Doug, you remember what that was called, don't you? No, I think, I think you're making it up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't Formula One drivers, but they, they invented a oh, So they were the best drivers then? But they were just drivers all in the same car. Well, was this a Top what? Gear special? Were you, did you go down the carting rink and just watch a load of kids going around and see? Yeah, he did. That's what he did. <laughs> Definitely. Fucking pricks. <laughs> <laughs> right, just uh, just Dougie to answer after all that. Um, tennis. <laughs> just tennis. <laughs> all the tennis. <laughs> so... You go to a tennis tournament, you sit in the stands, you watch four games of tennis, which roughly equates 10 hours of um, watching little rich kids throwing sweaty towels at children. It's populated <laughs> by nothing more than Sandra from Buckingham 
and her three fucking awful daughters standing there eating strawberries, shouting, come on, Tim, at the top of their voice. It is the most soul-sapping, destroying game that has ever been invented, and I'd rather watch people racing shit. <laughs> Hashtag H-H-L-M-T. HTLM. love money. That's the one I was Hashtag, I want to get hashtag shit racing trending, though. Yeah. you never seen it? <laughs> is it a bit like is it a bit like poo sticks where you but you actually have a no, shit you have a, you have a camera bridge. you have a camera embedded in the bowl of the toilet and then you get people who sit on the toilet and then somebody drops a checkered flag and um people then <laughs> race to get their shit to the bottom of the bowl first and then Give wipe it. their ass and the the person with the most immaculately presented toilet paper wins Give it 3 weeks of quarantine and it, it's happening Yeah yeah we'll be that bored I, I, I did see honourable mention for esports as well. <laughs> okay, honourable mention in me. Esports. It's not a sport. Sticking exactly. that before it doesn't make it a sport. No. Okay, a quick rundown of the scores. Well, we've give a bit of a lead creeping up already for for Ben on thirty four. Um, Doug is on 28. These are just meaningless, random numbers, really. Phil, 19, and Russ is on 15. Who knows if I'm some shooting stars, isn't it? It's just, <laughs> yeah, anything could happen. Right, next up. In a world where Match of the Day got replaced by Mrs. Brown's Boys Live, because that makes it better. Which my pal <laughs> directed. <laughs> oh. Does it make, so I'm glad he directed it because it is the biggest load of shit. In the world, <laughs> and you can tell him that from me. We'll do, mate. We'll do. G- given, I guess he didn't, write, he didn't write it, so it's not his fault. He just no. had to direct the shit, yeah. and it's like yeah. polishing a turd, isn't it? Yeah. You can roll it in glitter, make it look a little bit better, but it's still going to be a piece of shit. Yeah, should race it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Given that Mrs. Brown's boys replaced Match of the Day, the question is, what is the worst like for not like replacement in sports? And Russ, let's start with you. Well, I haven't got too much to say about this because I don't want to give it too much airtime. But the worst not like for not like replacement in sport has to be the 100. Nobody wants it. Nobody cares about it. It's a replacement for something that doesn't need replacing. And ultimately... It's doing a, doing a job that nobody needs it to do. And all of this equal prize money shit, no one's going to watch it anyway. So I don't care whether the men and women get paid the same or nothing or it all gets blown up in a big, you know, terrorist attack. <laughs> it, you know, quite frankly, I don't care about the hundred. There we go. Let, let Fingers crossed of all the things that get cancelled by, by this thing that's going on let's hope that the hundred is one of them and they just give up on it all that's how to get points back no yeah, give, him, give him five more points all right <laughs> <laughs> there we go right ben what would you like to see not well not like not like to see worse like for not like well, replacement I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for one that nearly happened and and ruined a club for a cup good couple of years um so about 10 years ago, Liverpool had one of the better midfields you'll ever see. Uh, Alonso, Gerard, and Mascarano. 
And then Rafa Benitez, who's a very good coach, decided that Gareth Barry would be a good replacement for Zabi Alonso. Um, now, apparently, Barry could play three different positions, so was a good chess piece. Um, unfortunately, he moves roughly as fast as the average chess piece. Um, <laughs> the, the Anfield crowd literally sang, you can stick your Gareth Barry up your ass." And uh, the, then Alonso left. He won a La Liga, a Champions League, three Bundesligas, a World Cup and a European Cup. And Liverpool played the next five years with Lucas Lever. Pointing off because it never happened. But, you know, otherwise, otherwise very good. Doug? Um, so sticking with football, I think replacing the world's greatest ever manager and world's most successful manager with a bloke dubbed by his last team's fans as Dithering Dave has <laughs> got to be one of the worst pieces of business that's ever, ever, ever happened in any sport ever. Now, just a few little stats about David Moyes because I do like a stat. Um he has a 41% win percentage for the whole duration of his career. He had a 50, 52% winning percentage with a team that won the league by 10 points the year before. Um, since he left, he has not had a better winning percentage than 28%. And uh, he's managed West Ham twice. He was so shit that West Ham appointed him twice. Unbelievable. And he's ginger. <laughs> Very good. Interestingly, right. just just to finish off, he co-owns co the Wikipedia is great. Co-owns a racehorse, <laughs> which was uh, trained by a bloke called Ginger. Ironic. Have you seen Have you seen that video floating around the internet that when David Moyes played football and like the the old. Um... Oh, the soccer card type things, and yeah, back in yeah. those days, he actually looks like he's suffering, you know, from from the AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil, finish us off for this question. So I'm going to take you back to April 2012. Uh, Wales have just won the Six Nations. Um, they've got Warren Gatlin there, who's since Don't gone on go there. to prove himself. One of the uh, one of the best managers of a certain type of rugby. Um, unfortunately, he goes and hurts his ankles, and also happens to be selected to uh, to get involved with the Lions. So he uh, steps away from the Wales job for a year. In steps Rob Howley, who seems to manage to perfect the "I don't have a fucking clue what I'm doing" look. Had a bet on flick- mate, didn't he? Whilst flicking his eyes between the uh, the rugby that's going on and then to the subs bench and then to a little notebook. And yeah, I reckon all the time he was thinking, when, when, when did I say I was going to bring him on? When was that bet on for? But he looked fucking clueless. The team played fucking clueless. They played like they didn't have a clue what, what game they were actually playing, what sport they were playing. He then presided. He did such a shit job that Gatlin came back to manage them for two games in the middle of his Lions tour preparation. <laughs> and he'd fucked them up so much that they lost those two games as well. They lost eight games on the banks, six of which he was coach for, two of which Gatlin came back and went, fuck, I can't sort this out, and disappeared again to go and sort the Lions out. So, yeah, Rob Howley, worst like-for-not-like replacement in sport ever. The Welsh Stan Laurel. 
Okay. He wanted a point for that as well, didn't he? Um, yeah. <laughs> who, who, who was winning that round, Adam, if you were going to pick? Oh, it's, it's Russ. It's the 100. Uh, you know. Of course it is. Yeah. I mean, well, you, aren't you, you married? Know your host. Know your host. <laughs> <laughs> right, next up. This is nothing to do with any virus. What's the best sledge you've ever heard? Or for people who like American things, trash talk. Uh, let's start with Ben. Um, I'm going to keep this one topical. 1932. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you there, mate? Do you hear it? Yeah, I was right there. Um, so we're in Adelaide, the Bodley Line series. And uh, England's captain, Douglas Jardine, has uh, brought in a new tactic to combat Donald Bradman, which basically one involves the a legs. One of the best, yeah. Um, which basically involved putting a load of fielders around the bat on the leg side and trying to knock the batsman's head off. Um, so um, he had a very fast bowler, Harold Larwood, who um, in amongst basically a crowd that was just about to riot and there was a, already a diplomatic incident going on over all this, he, uh, he hit an Australian batsman in the chest and he dropped to the floor the crowd surged forward, about to come on and attack the English players. And above it all, they just heard Jardine go, well, bold Harold. Uh, <laughs> at, at which point he moved the field into the controversial fielding uh, positions, which weren't actually in place at the time. And they got Bradman out for eight. Um, two interesting facts um, on the on the boat over to Australia, Larwood insisted, uh, sorry, Br um, Jardine insisted that Bradman only be referred to as the bastard. And um, <laughs> Jardine's family motto is beware, I am here. Which is wow. pretty much the coolest motto of all time, I think. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Russ, best sledge you've ever heard. <laughs> I've, I've got Several and my mind always goes to cricket when I when I talk about um we hear and think about sledging uh without wanting to trample on anybody else's answers. There's the uh Darren Goff and Shane Watson infamous ghost at Chester the Street. There is um Andrew Flintoff and, and Tino Best, but I'll leave that there. But my favourite ever sledge is uh the Oval, fifth, fifth Ashes Test, 2001. Uh, England have already lost the series and getting pretty trounced on their own patch. And uh, Mark War um, is is in the field, fielding its slip. It was customary for a slip fielding. And uh, in, into bats <laughs> strides a an England debutant, a guy called James Jimmy Ormond. And uh, Mark Wall looks up and says, oh, look at this. What are you doing here? There's no way you're good enough to play cricket for England. And James Ormond replies, that may be true, but at least I'm the best player in my own family. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so fair play, James Ormond. Know your, uh, know your role. Literally a guy who's remembered mostly for that sledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what a sledge. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Phil? So, unlike Russ, I'm going to go with one answer. Unlike three answers, Russ. <laughs> um, I'm going to take you back to the 2015 Rugby World Cup. You've got Scotland playing South Africa at uh, St. James's Park, so Newcastle United football ground. Stuart Hogg playing fullback, 
catches a ball, sticks it up and under. South African, um, I, I can't remember who it was, but South African tries to charge down his kick and Hogg takes a proper dive. You've got Nigel Owens refereeing this, turns around to him and goes, dive like that again and you can come back here in two weeks and play not today, watch out. That, as far as I'm concerned, is about the only good sledge that Nigel Owens has ever done. Um, and it's all too much about Brand Owens, but when he gets it right, he gets it spot on. Very good. Dougie, let's finish with you. So I'm not a big one for sledging. Um, my personal my personal favourite thing to do is just to point at the scoreboard because that winds people up more than anything else. Um, but if I was forced Unless to choose... Losing. Well, you don't do it if you lose, you do it. That's for Phil. Was it Phil? Yeah. If I have to uh, if I have to pick one though, I'm a very big fan of Steve Smith telling Akeeb Talib to ice up son. Akeeb Talib at the time was a very young cornerback and Steve Smith was a very old wide receiver who managed to run all over him and force Akeeb Talib out with uh, an injury. Akeeb Talib is a very gobby little man as well. And so being told to ice up by a man twice his age was quite funny, but you had to be there, I suppose. Excellent. Okay, next question. I'm going to make it a quickie. Well, as quick as you you boys will let me. Uh, Doug, we'll start with you. And the question is, with Joe Marler getting a a 12-week ban, 10-week ban, it hardly matters now. What's he going to be doing? Um, For tickling Alan Wynne-Jones' tackle... (laughs) Which sports star would you like to feel up in public without consent? <laughs> now, to keep things uh, to keep things non-lawsuity, I'll say um, Francois Houhard. I'd just love to rub his quads. Quite nice. But also, um, even though we, we exchange messages during the week, uh, Tiana Panettone, the uh, ex-Australian sevens player. There you, go. Well, you exchange messages with him? <laughs> <laughs> Was that a request? Go and have a look at him. (laughs) I did when you sent me your answers earlier. Um, (laughs) So, pulling back the curtain there. Um, Ben, whose tackle Um, would you like to feel up? Israel Falau, because secretly I think he'd quite like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Very good. Uh, Russ? Uh, David Beckham, because I'd love to see whether he actually had golden balls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phil? To prove once and for all, beyond any reasonable doubt, and let her get on with her career, Casta Semenya. <laughs> oh, God, all your answers are brilliant. And mine shit. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, that's class. That's another one of them. <laughs> we, could, we, we could have gone down so many roads. If, if for, To pull back the curtain a little bit for the listeners, if, if anybody had seen what had gone on in, in the preparation WhatsApp for this for this particular question, it was uh, it was a sight to behold anyway. My personal favourite being Vicky Fleetwood and, and Helen Houseby, but you know, we try to keep it slightly, uh, slightly PC. <laughs> slightly. Okay, latest scores for anyone paying attention, which is barely even me. Phil, you're on 47, Russ on 48, Doug 54, and Ben still in the lead with 56. Let's see what happens next. As panic buying is becoming fashionable, 
in the loosest sense of the word. Uh, what is the worst transfer in sporting history? Uh, Phil, kick us off. So I'm going to take you back to November 1996. Um, Graham Sunes, then Southampton manager, struggling for, uh, oh. for a bit of firepower up front. The phone rings. Hello, Mr. Sunes. It's George Ware here. The George Ware? Yes, yes, the George Ware. <laughs> I, I have a cousin. I'd like you to meet him. I think he's a fantastic footballer. He would fit in fantastically well at your side. His name is Ali Jar. Okay, let me um, just just to so you're aware, Mr. Sunis, we have a lot of clubs interested, but he wants to come and play for Southampton. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll sign him. I'll sign him now, definitely. So, uh, approximately three weeks later, on he dons the Southampton shirt, sits on the bench. Southampton talisman at the time, Matt Letizier, gets injured in the thirty-second minute. On steps Ali Jar who then later got substituted for Ken Moncow, the man with two left feet. And after the game, <laughs> lost 2-0 to Leeds. After the game, Matt Letizier commented on him. He ran around the pitch like Bambi on ice. It was very embarrassing to watch. Was then immediately released from his contract and went to play for non-league Gateshead. Surely the telltale sign for Graham Sooner should have been when he signed the transfer paperwork from Blythe Spartans. Him to move to Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of points there. Very good. Um, Dougie. Okay. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of ways you could go with this. John Dahl Thomason at Newcastle, uh, 23, ga- 23 games, three goals, sold to Feyenoord. Um, came with a huge reputation, then gone. At a time when Newcastle was sort of hovering around the top half of the Premier, or top of the Premier League, which, you know, uh, you could go down that route. You could go down the route of Alex Smith from uh, tra- picking him up on a free agent signing from the Kansas City Chiefs for them to watch him break his leg in his second game so badly that he hasn't played for two years. Um, but really, <clears throat> there's only one proper answer. If you're going to make a bad signing, make it be the end of your business. So in 2002, the Arrows Formula One team um, had a driver called Jos Verstappen, father of the... Um, young lad that's racing for Red Bull at the moment, Max Verstappen. They dropped him in favour of a guy called Heinz Harold Frentzen, who was a, a German driver. Um, he became available because Alain Prost's team closed down. Now, this is where it gets interesting because Verstappen then sued Arrows for breach of contract because he wasn't he was still under contract when they dropped him. Um, the reason that they signed Frentzen was because he would sign on a pay-per-drive contract but they didn't actually have the money to pay him so he wasn't getting paid so he then sued them and then arrows ran out of money and closed down so if you're gonna if you're gonna make a bad signing make sure it is as bad as you can possibly get and that you no longer run a company afterwards (laughs) literally puts you out of business (laughs) very good right although it was formula one you know so Uh, ben, but it was a four, it took a Formula One company out of business. Well, that's yeah. a good thing. That's a good thing, right? If there was that generic Alan Partridge gif there, that just yeah. went, <laughs> we, we all did it. Yeah. We all did it. <laughs> My shoulders did move a little bit. Okay. I was appealing to your. Uh, yeah. This country. 
at the risk of sounding like somebody else, don't ask for points. <laughs> <laughs> right, Ben. Well, I was going to say Winston Bogard, signed for Chelsea, £40,000 a week and made nine appearances in four years and was quite happy to sit on the bench for the youth team. But actually, I'm, I'm going to just take you to the, uh, the chequered history of English rugby league to rugby union transfers. So with the honourable exception of Jason Robinson, pretty much everyone ever since has been bad business to appalling business. I'm going to give you some names. Leslie Vanacolo, Henry Paul, Joel Tompkins, please, Josh please say, Please say one that I'm hoping you're going to say. Say it wrong for old time's sake. I, I, he's literally on my list. I don't know if you can see that, but I, I didn't say it. I can't say <laughs> Go name. on. Go on. Please, say it, please say it. Say it. Harpe. John Zane Harpe. Brilliant. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. And, for, those, uh, for those of you, just to, for those of you that have never, ever listened, I didn't listen back that far. Ben once called Sean Zane Harpe, Sean Zane Hape. <laughs> Brilliant. We've basically, the English Rugby Union has basically kept uh, the North in whippets for the last 15 years. And uh, since Jason Robinson's retired, we've got Chris Chris Ashton out of it. Sounds fair. Did you put um, Henry Paul on it? Which one of the Paul brothers played as well? Henry, Henry just, Paul, Henry, yeah. yeah. I, I deliberately didn't say um, Sam Burgess because uh, that was Rugby Union's fault, not Rugby League's. He could have been a brilliant player by now. Yeah, agree. Right, Russ, worst transfer in sporting history. Um, there's loads, but for me, one well, the worst one is Gary Neville's managerial appointment at Valencia. Gary was appointed head coach of Valencia on the second of December, 2015, where Phil had already been working as the assistant to a little-known manager called Nuno Esperanto Santos, who some of you may now realise is the manager of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, Neville took charge of the club and led them to a pretty dire record. Um, he lost his first game at home to Lyon in the Champions League, meaning they were out of that, get it, out of that competition. They lost 7-0. At the at, um, at the new camp in the first leg of the Copa del Rey semi final, and uh, yeah, he his managerial record was nothing to be desired. So with all of the uh, stuff he gives it on the punditry, he couldn't back it up when he was in the hot seat. Goes that way with some people, doesn't it? Like you, people you expect to to make a good coach or manager aren't necessarily. Doesn't matter how good they are as a player or a pundit. Uh, Martin Johnson springs to mind. Um, yeah, right. Next question. So quite simply, who is or was the best player across any sport to never play internationally? Um, Russ, I'll go back to you again. Well, for me, there's only one answer to this question. Uh, a guy that Phil might know quite well. Uh, from his time at school is a man called James Hildreth. He has a first-class batting average of 42.57, scored 17,000 runs, 17,158 runs in 263 first-class appearances. And when That's you can... last two answers brought to you by Wikipedia. 
<laughs> Absolutely, hundred percent. And when you consider during the time we made his first class debut in two thousand and three, England's middle middle order has seen such names as Keaton Jennings, Zafar Ansari, Ben Duckett, um, well, loads. Owen Morgan, Samit Patel, Ravi Bapara, Owe Shah. You know, it's such it's such a shame, and the guy deserves. Oh, there's the Essex one. Um, <laughs> oh, two Essex ones. Um, I, lo- I love the way you knew what that was. Yeah, um, but James James Hildreth for me is the best player to never begin given an opportunity on the international stage. Quality yeah, banter as well. <laughs> when he uh, okay. did his little stint on Sky commentary, I don't remember that. On the T20s, he did the T20 bit of commentary on the T20s at the end of last year. That was Hildreth, wasn't it? It was a Somerset Trigo, player. Trigo, Trigo. Oh, that was Trigo, wasn't it? My bad. And now, Sorry. and now, Peter Trigo signed a two-year deal at Notts. Has he really? Absolutely, has. Oh. He could have been a good answer to that as well. I don't think he he didn't play internationally, did he? There you go. Treaks. Right, Phil. So, obviously, if you take it within the spirit of the question, Russ's answer is the right one. Um, but we've got three answers, Russ. We've got Doug getting in and a bit of the action, giving multiple answers. We've got Ben listing every player that's ever moved from rugby union to rugby league. So I'm going to go bigger <laughs> than all of those. And I'm going to say everybody who was of international class who didn't get to play internationals because of the political situation in South Africa. Basically, all international sport, in particular cricket and rugby union, lost out. And yeah, some of the good ones, your your Robin Smiths and your Alan Lambs came over and moved to different countries and got to play international sport. But international sport missed out on pretty much an entire generation coming from one of the biggest sporting nations because of politics. And it's an absolute disgrace. And it's an absolute disgrace the way that, that coloured people in, in South Africa have been treated throughout history. And nothing will ever put that right. Um, certainly not a quota system like they've got in mul- multiple sports at the moment. But what we need is that country at the sporting table. And actually, somebody somewhere needs to write all of those people who missed out on international caps a big apology. Yeah. Here, here. OK, Doug. OK. Uh, we'll go back to arguably the greatest club football side that there ever was, the early 90s Man United side. Why Spartans? Yep, Blythe Spartans and <laughs> Ali Dyer. Um, no, Steve Bruce, who was the linchpin of the United side that won multiple titles, um, didn't win the European Cup because of the uh, the uh, non-residential player rule, but he never played for England. He played for England B, played for the under-20s, I think, but uh, under-21s, but never played for England, full international side, which when you consider him and Gary Pallister were centre-backs for a team that was so dominant, nobody could keep up with them. Uh, it's quite remarkable, really. Uh, and you had an alcoholic Tony Adams keeping him out of the side. How many caps did Gary Pallister get? Because that's it's extraordinary, really. Probably not, probably not as many Hardly as any. Yeah. Uh, should we find out? <laughs> if only there was a way to do that. Is it about 11? 11, something like that? No one's getting any points for fighting. I'll tell you what, um, he got 22. That's a travesty as well, isn't it? Yeah. 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 
Adams okay. and Bold, wasn't it? And Steve Bold didn't win too yeah. many, didn't he? But Get out of Southgate, or was that too Mark, early? In, in a word where Mark Wright was winning yeah. England. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Butcher Crazy. kept them all out for a long time, didn't he? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, who have we got left? Ben? Yeah. Um, well, well I, I've gone for a support where there isn't really a... The, the option for international honours, I thought I'd look at uh, your, oh. your area of expertise, the NFL. Um, and I thought I'd pick the... Naturally. Uh, okay. Yeah, I thought, I thought I'd pick the best defensive player of all time, therefore the best player of all time, uh, Lawrence Taylor. Um, so this was a man so good that they, he basically changed the game, the way the game was played. A man so good that teammates donated their own urine to him so he could pass drugs tests. And, a, <laughs> and a, a man so good that he got away with arriving at a team meeting handcuffed, not by the police, by, but by some young ladies he'd met the night before. <laughs> That's excellent. Right. Um, we're going to go full circle back to rugby, um, which is the last well, sport related question. Uh, which rugby player would make the best dictator of a totalitarian regime? Um, <laughs> Doug, let's start with you. Uh, well, it could have been any one of the uh, first South African side back from apartheid, but um, I'm going to go with Dan Bigger just because you do whatever he said. You would literally do whatever he said. And you know that he's probably hard enough to take you on if it, if it comes to that because of the way that he would you know run through brick walls he would literally he'd run through brick walls and you'd be like why is this man running through brick walls and you'd be like that's because he's a totalitarian dictator <laughs> phil so uh, when you think of totalitarianism what do you think of you think of somebody who commands authority somebody who gets you to do whatever they want you to do but actually, we're, we're talking about the best of those. And the best of those get you to do what they want you to do without you even realising you're doing something for them. They do it with you thinking that actually they're doing you a favour by letting them, by letting you carry their bag in, by letting you take your boots away for the weekend and clean them ready for the next match, by letting you do extra laps of the pitch at the end of training, by, by them thinking that you're leading them to some great victory when in reality... All you're doing is exactly what that person wants you to do. It's also the kind of person where shit doesn't stick. The kind of person where you can you can do whatever you want, you can get away with whatever you want, and it's not affecting your future career. Where you can potentially uh, line up some kind of pharmaceutical dealing situation, get caught doing it, and it just disappears from all history. And that person is Lawrence Delalio. Everybody who's ever played with him would say that you would you would bend over backwards, you would lick his arsehole, and and you'd think that he was doing you a favour by letting you do it. Did I ever did I ever tell did I ever tell the story that I know about Lawrence Delalio in the the um the Barracuda Bar in Newquay? I, I I don't want to say too much in case it's libelous, but allegedly, and will you well we'll say allegedly, he was uh, he was in the ladies' toilets. On the on the the shiz lounge that they tend to have in ladies' toilets, I don't know if that actually <laughs> happened. Um, with with uh, with a couple of, with a couple of local ladies, um, and one of the bouncers who was a, a good friend of um, ours, Ben, who used to work on the door in 
said establishment at the time walked in to, to throw him out, saw it was Lawrence Delalio and just went, on you go, Lawrence. And just <laughs> out of the, uh, the guy the guy lined up a drug deal. He lined up, he, he was caught buying vast quantities of drugs to sell on to other people. Oh, no, yeah, that wasn't Allegedly. me. I was, just, I, I was just, oh, no, 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 there's nothing. Um, and And it just, it just didn't stick to him at all. His career got better as a result of it, if nothing else. Excellent. Russ. Two words for you. Sebastian Chabal. The guy <laughs> is an absolute behemoth of a man. Um, he looks scary. He led by example for France on the pitch. He knew how to knock a bloke out when it came to it. But he also could be quite soft. And and I think some adverts that appeared on French television um, were were testament to his ability to to connect with the females <laughs> of the species also. So I think in a in a case of totalitarian regime, he could rule with an iron fist, but also get people on board with a lo- loving, more ke- tender touch. Should he should it be required? I wasn't expecting the tender part, but I'll be honest. Uh, but that's that's the best answer, unless Ben can beat it, of course. Well, I, I was going to say Henry Slade's got the moustache for it, but um, eventually, <laughs> eventually, I settled on uh, on Martin Johnson, perhaps the obvious choice. Um, but I, I'm not talking your sort of Hitler-Stalin kind of dictator here. I'm going relatively medieval, your sort of Richard the Lionheart or uh, Genghis Khan kind of lead from the front. Uh, everyone wants to follow him. Uh, very tough man. Iron Will. Look what he did at that game against the uh, the Irish, where he made the Irish. Who's president. Iron Will? He, he, he's a mate of mine. <laughs> well, um, he, Will, Will Greenwood. Yeah, made the uh, made the Irish president walk on the on the on the mud rather than the red carpet. Stood his ground, and in fact, you know, as medieval monarchs go, he does have uh, some valuable bonus experience of subjugating the Celts. <laughs> <laughs> very good right the we're, we're relatively close you know there's 20 odd points in it i've no idea what that means but there we go the final <laughs> final round before the the final final is any other business obviously uh let's start with russ any other business do we get points for this yeah oh, but only I... if you brief yeah so with all this stuff that's going on in the world at the moment, all I want to say is support your local businesses. Get out there. Those are the people that are going to need your help the most. In in the days where, you know, Richard Branson and Virgin are, are clawing for money from the government to subsidise Virgin Atlantic from the billionaire owner, we've got there are people out there that are literally living week to week hand-to-mouth, all of that sort of stuff, self-employed people, people working shops that are not going to get paid. So any opportunity you've got in the next four, five, six, seven weeks, in fact, in general, if you can, try and support them, shop locally, employ local people, find local people, support local people, and you know, kind of get together a little bit because it looks like it's, it's really going to go to shit even more than it has over the next three or four weeks. So, uh, we need to we need to have each other's backs a little bit. Yeah. Okay, Dougie. Um, 
Well, Russ kind of pissed on my chips there a bit, but um. Oh, you can have points for that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I've had all my work cancelled, uh, which is great. Um, is that, nobody wants sympathy points, Doug. <clears throat> no, I phoned up well, Santa well, there do, today. Do you want me so... to play the little celebrate jingle at that point? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, I'll take the points. I don't care. Um, so I phoned up Santa there today to uh, find out what was going on with my, if, see if I could take a mortgage holiday because obviously, well, anyway, <clears throat> um, and was told that yeah they're not doing mortgage holidays, but you can do this thing where your payment gets deferred to the next month. And you can do that on a monthly basis and you don't, it just adds more months to your whatever. Anyway, and I was like, well, can I have some paperwork to show what, you know, what's going to happen? And I was told, no, we can't do that. We're not financial advisors. It's like, I'm not asking you to financially advise me. I'm just asking to see what number I need to pay. And this woman said to me, well, most people are just grateful that uh, we're doing something. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Am I not being grateful enough? You know, um, I know you work in a call centre, love, but, um, you know, people are struggling and you're being a dick. I'm by no means am I, by by no means am I um, as badly off as some of my colleagues will be. But, um, yeah, I think people just need to have a bit more empathy at the moment. Absolutely. If it helps, there's quite a lot of points there. It, might, that might just be it does. I'm not going to lie. It does. It does. <laughs> if you could Phil. turn those points into pound notes, that'd be great. Well, I'm clearly not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Phil, any other business? Uh, yeah. First of all, Matthew Shanghai, friend of the pod on Twitter, he says Russia a dickhead. So <laughs> just pa- pass that one on. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna stick on the. Uh... They, those points are for Matt, not for Phil. By the way. <laughs> Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, I'm going to stick on the coronas, coronavirus. There for you, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, just there is there is something about a national crisis, a national emergency, a, a talking point that just turns people into proper dickheads. And, yes, the whole shop local, yes, the fact that, that a lot of people are going to have their work cancelled. My aunt and uncle decided last Wednesday that last Friday was a good time to take a week's holiday in Petra in Jordan. So they got on a flight on Friday to find that everything was shut when they were out there. They couldn't get a taxi out to see any of the the sites they were going to see. They were stuck in their hotel. So they tried to get a flight back and there's no flights coming back now. So they're stuck in Jordan like the retards that they are. Um, (laughs) And and if that's not bad enough, this whole over 70s being... um, being told to isolate for a prolonged period of time. Listen to Radio 5 at the moment, and they're all phoning up going, but I'm really fit. I walk two miles a day. I'm super fit. It's not going to kill me. You're over 70, which means that your lungs are not what they were before. Your airways are about half the size, and your immunity is shot to pieces. It doesn't matter how physically fit you are, how cardiovascularly fit you are, your lungs are already halfway towards being shot, and a virus like this will probably tip you over the edge. So you know what? Just stay in your house for a little bit and do what you're told. Like, it's like the whole blitz spirit thing. It's not, we're going to keep on going regardless. It's not like we're being attacked by the Germans. This is a fucking virus that will kill you. Just do what you're told, old people, for once in your life. Or get stuck in Jordan for a bit. Or get stuck in Jordan. Yeah. Just imagine that. Yeah, repatriation Uh, costs are going to be high, aren't they? 
That's full of viruses as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think some, uh, yeah, we were in different places just then, I think. Ben. <laughs> well, um, my, I suppose mine's a little bit coronavirus related as well in this time where we're supposed to be uh, very germ conscious and washing hands, etc. So let me run you through my weekend. So Friday, we we took a dog for a walk and uh, put him in the back seat. Yours? Yeah, no, it's it's one it's one of uh, uh, Sarah's. Yeah, we just picked up off the street. Um, so we we put the dog in the back of Sarah's car, got it to where we were going to walk him, and he'd been sick in the back, and it had gone down all the um, wheel well and all down the um, where the uh, seat belts go in. Nooks so and that, crannies. Yeah. So so that there's the, the back of of her, of her car, pretty smelly. Uh, Saturday, I'm coming back from Crantock uh, in the dark, going along a country lane, spotted a shape beside the beside the side of the road. Stopped to see what it was. It was a lamb that had come out of a field and and was was freezing in the road. So I picked that one up and took it to the farmer's house, and it took a leak in my back seat. So that's my car also stinking. Um, and then on Sunday, we the neighbours have left a bin, <laughs> which uh, has been there since Christmas and got full of water. So I tried to move that, spilt it all over myself, spilt it all over the drive, and it had a chicken in it, which had been in um, water for three months and was also stinking. So right now. I am I am walking I am walking through a bin juice stinking um, drive to get into either a dog sick or sheep wee smelling car to go to work. So I'm basically never mind coronavirus. I'm probably carrying some cowpox, typhus, dysentery, everything. <laughs> I'm getting a jab for that. Well, there we go. Um, final scores. So the top two are going to face each other in. Defend the undefensible. Let's call it that. Yeah, undefensible. That's different enough. That's different enough. Good. Yeah. Uh, right, Phil, you are on ninety-five. You don't quite make it, I'm afraid. Nor does Russ on eighty-seven. Uh, but in the final, Doug on ninety-six and Ben on hundred and four. I'm glad uh, the people will be final, happy, Ben. The, the people I'm, will be happy. I might as well concede here. <laughs> right, you have not had pre-knowledge of what I'm about to give you, and. I need an app to, to give me a, a time on this. Uh, let's, what do they, how much time do you get on? 20 seconds. Right, so you're going to have. On, tw- on some shows. All right, so seconds. you're going to have 22 <laughs> seconds to talk about what I give you. Uh, ben, as, well, Ben, you were, you were leading. Do you want to go? For, in fact, hang on. Doug, if you I, weren't if leading. I was, do you want to go first or second? If I was oh, Tony I Rowe, I'd say I'd won already. Oh, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, do you want to go first or second? Second. Okay. Ben, you're going to kick us off. You're going to talk for 22 uh, both seconds. The topics, both, both the topics the same? Am I doing the same thing? No, you're doing a different topic. <laughs> it's, almost like you've never, it's almost like you've never heard this thing that we're not copying <laughs> before. <laughs> <laughs> right. There, there might be rocky going on in the background but you know we're not just ripping everything off so it's not uh ben yeah ben's going first joe bean esposito you're the best around okay whatever if ben here's your topic if we have a truncated cricket season this summer all domestic competitions should be binned except for an elongated version of the hundred (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I'm totally in favour of this. Um, I think that the 100 should be elongated by roughly four and a half days and uh, two innings <laughs> each um, with a red ball and white kits and less shitty crisp factories sponsoring the teams. And I think we've basically solved the problem for cricket going forward. There you go. Time's up. Uh, I like what you did there, although you didn't really defend it. Uh, Dougie. <laughs> Yours will be, with the Gallagher Premiership being put on ice indefinitely, they should void the season and cancel the Saracens' points deduction. I'll take the loss. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Ben. You win the, the final. The... Oh, it was worth it just for that. Because I, <laughs> I, I almost knew this was all going to be building towards that point. <laughs> Just just for one second, James and Shangy were like they were just <laughs> building to like this is this is the best podcast ever and then you you've just cut them dead, Doug. <laughs> Some things are completely Nobody, nobody picked up on Shangy there either, did they? <laughs> well played. It is, it is Shangy, isn't it? No. <laughs> and he's your biggest fan. Oh my word, this is going to cause ructions <laughs> in the listenership. A bit embarrassing. Never mind. Well, there you go. Ben. There you go. Ben I'm happy wins. to lose to that, Ben. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, There's well, no way I'm defending that. Well played, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, that was good fun. That was that We've got was six great days fun. to come up with something for next week. <laughs> well, yeah, I came up with this idea. That's someone else's bag. So, BBC, Phil is the man you're after. Yeah. <laughs> Any copyright <laughs> infringements? See at Phil Farm Vet. <laughs> but having said that, it was incredible fun. Thank you, Adam, for you uh, for hosting and uh, quiz mastering said uh, casual walking, <laughs> ch- chuntering, talking, whatever it might well be. Um, yeah, thanks very much, uh, Doug, Phil, Ben. Congratulations to Ben. And uh, let's see what happens. There's not going to be any rugby. So we'll see if we can come up with something for the next week. Don't know whether we can or uh, whether we just extend this and invite some other people to see what they think about other stuff. I can imagine Eddie Stevens would be very good at this. If he yes. gets this far, if if Eddie rugby ranter banter Eddie Stevens, if you are available for something of this nature, I think you would you would excel at this. So uh, yeah, let, let's let's go for some guests maybe and see see if we can get the rugby community doing this sort of stuff. Anyway, thanks for listening, Adam. Thank you very much, and we may well be back next week. Go well. Podcast Network.